right, here we go. I, I, I told myself on the way here, um, I was going to get out of the habit of starting all of these with the word all right or okay, because that seems to be how they all start. Um, but that's all right and you're, okay. You're, yeah, <laughs> that's your line, man. So I'm, I'm here with Coach Cone. We're actually, this is pretty cool. I told him when I got here, um, you know, one of my favorite venues in, in town, for anyone who's, who's, who's listened to me in the past, is, is, is Caven, Caven Field, right? I'm Cavan. referring to Caven Field. Cavan. Is this field uh, here at St. John's. So we're actually sitting underneath the box, right? The press box, or yep, press, press box. box, on the field, looking right down the midline. And I think um, the girls' field hockey practice is breaking up over on the other field, right? Finnegan Field, yep. Yeah, so this is super cool. Just, I could probably shut down and leave at this point, <laughs> and I would be happy because this is way cool. Now I've done this in, you know, kitchens and dining rooms and boxes and offices, and now I'm sitting out here on the field. So, man, I, I appreciate you letting me down here to come talk to you. Uh, I, I love the fact that we're set up on the field. Absolutely. It's a pretty special place for us, and, you know, our boys talk about Scotty Cabin in particularly uh, often about who, why this field is named after him and what he meant to the St. John's community and man, that, uh, how that, special he was as a young man. And that's something that we talk about every year in February when we start the season of just understanding the special, how special this place is and um, just not taking that for granted because those four years go by really, really fast. And our seniors right now are feeling that. Yeah, that's, that's awesome history. I, I love the fact that there's a, there's a tangible anchor like that, right, for the boys to grab a hold of. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, we like to talk about the tradition here, and that started, you know, with Sam Chambers, who's, you know, one of the godfathers of lacrosse down here that I, I have, uh, I'm fortunate to be following in his footsteps, and he left uh, me a great program and, uh, you know, is, a, is kind of a, a guy that I bounce ideas off of still, and he's open to that, which I certainly appreciate. So, um, you know, keeping that tradition of what St. John's lacrosse is and, the, the young men that have gone through the program is really important to me to keep that connection. Yeah, I guess so organized here on this podcast. I'm with David Cohn, <laughs> the head coach at St. John's. I guess I should have said that right from the get-go. Shocker that I got that out of, out of, out of line. Um, so I, 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 let, I read a little bit about your history, and you, and you know the routine, right? We kind of start out with how you got to sure. lacrosse, right? I've read a little bit about your history. There was an article that St. John's published. I think it was like in the St. John's newspaper right. a couple of years ago, three years ago when you, when you came on board here. So I got a little, a little bit of my history from you, but it was really about you know, your time in college and, and, and kind of that point forward. So you know, let's get in the Wayback Machine right, and figure out how, how you got introduced to lacrosse right where you grew up how you got involved in the game who introduced you that kind of stuff sure i uh you know i grew up in the mecca of baltimore maryland so um just north of the city uh my parents were born and raised there and um you know growing up they encouraged me to play all sports so i played football basketball baseball and um a little ice hockey horseback riding they they encouraged me to do everything outdoors that i could possibly get my hands on um and when in baseball around 10 11 years old the kids start pitching and the dads stop pitching and my mom looked at me after a couple games and was like you got to find something different because she is not coming to any more of those games uh, <laughs> so uh all of my friends for the most part um were playing lacrosse or had a lacrosse stick so i was like let's try that and i 
um, you know, kind of instantly fell in love with it. And, you know, it helps to have a group of friends that were all that way. So um, that was really important. So, um, you know, uh, so then, you know, I was fortunate enough to go to Gilman School as well, which is a lacrosse, um, you know, factory for, for yeah, uh, yeah. building players. And so for those of us, I'm going to put in a, a, a plug, right? Um, you know, each season now, uh, I think it's Corrigan Sports, mm -hmm. right? They actually broadcast MIAA games on YouTube. Yes. So I think last season there was probably, I don't know, 12 or 15 games. Yeah, there's like a game of the week yeah. almost every week. And uh, it's pretty produced very well. And you get to know those players. And obviously you see them play, you know, at the next level, pretty much up and down their roster are right, right. next level guys. So, um, you know, having that experience, that kind of, you know, obviously, you know, growing up, I was uh, in the backyard, you know, I'm Ryan Boyle or I'm Andrew Lucas or Damian Davis. And, you know, for those of you who don't know who those players are, look them up. Um, but uh, those, those guys really shaped, you know, I was in seventh, eighth grade when they were seniors. And that really shaped kind of who I wanted to be and how I wanted to be as a player. So you were, what, what I love about that reference is you're, you're referencing players at Gilman who were at Gilman that you were looking up to, right? Absolutely. So, you know, I think everybody, most folks around here, they think of MLL players or PLL players, right? And that's, that's kind of who they look up to. And again, that gives you some context about the, the environment there. You're talking about players at your high school, right? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was crazy. I mean, we had, at that time, it was the Wild West with recruiting. And I mean, there were countless college coaches at you know, even JV games at that point and, and varsity games, um, you know, just the proximity of those um, games to those coaches was uh, was awesome. So getting just that experience and having, you know, that uh, that play a part into, not to say that was the end all be all, but at the same time, it was, you know, you were expected to be a good player and expected to, you know, want to go play at the next level. And that was my goal, so. Awesome. And so what were the years that you were at Gilman? I was there, I started in uh, seventh grade there and I graduated in, so that would be 96 to, I graduated in 02. So uh, 97 uh, to 02, that's where I was. And you played your entire career there? You were yeah, uh, I, you know, we, we started in seventh grade and there's the middle school was very competitive at that time. And actually the head coach, um, who just stepped down, Brooks Matthews, was the middle school coach at that time and a JV coach, and he helped out with that. And, uh, you know, we had a pretty good, pretty good squad. And then, you know, I was fortunate enough to make the varsity team as a sophomore, which was kind of a big deal. And that's kind of when I knew, like, I had a chance to play. And I think my parents understood that I had a chance to play at the next level when I made that a competitive team like the varsity team there. Right. Um, playing with guys that were going to Cornell and, um, you know, Justin Red. Um, was one of the players on varsity at that point. Clark Finney went to WNL. There's all these names that I could rattle off that were really, really good high school players and ended up being very good college players as well. Did, at what point, I mean, was it as early as middle school or, or when during your high school career did you realize, you know, I may have the interest in playing beyond just high school? Uh, I think it was really my freshman year, freshman, sophomore year, where I started, uh, you know, the whole club scene wasn't around then. So you played uh, maybe- the, the good old days. The good old <laughs> days, right? So, you, you know, as a Gilman squad, we did Champ Camp was, was available then. And uh, the club thing circuit was just starting. So there's a couple, you know, events out there that I would try out for and, and go do. 
uh, one of which being the Bay State games, which was uh, kind of an all-star team of the Maryland, D.C. private school and public school kids. And I was fortunate to make it through a couple rounds of that. Um, I ended up playing in the top 44 game, uh, didn't make the, the, the next cut, but I think making that kind of proved to me and uh, that I had an opportunity to play and I got some, some recognition from that and I think that kind of catapulted me to, to really want to do it at the next level. Did you have, um, was your family athletically inclined? Mom and dad, were they pushing you to play sports? Were they athletic? Did you have brothers and sisters? Um, I had an older sister. She wasn't, uh, she, I always like to say she got the smarts and I got the athletic gene. Um, she's now a lawyer, so, uh, um, and I'm a coach, so go figure. Um, but, uh, you know, my parents just encouraged me to do as much as I could and, and, you know, have fun doing it. And I think, uh, you know, whether we won or lost, they, you know, hey, I love you. Let's go get, let's go get an ice cream, right, you know. Right. Um, and I think that certainly shaped, you know, how I coach and uh, certainly, you know, pushed me to, you know, they pushed me enough to want to do it. But then it was, I had to take that kind of ownership of it and uh, knowing that it was going to be, you know, somewhat of a job in college to play a Division One sport. So when, and I, I don't, I'm not going to pretend to understand the recruiting rules and the differences between back in the day, right, when you were in high school and now, but you, know, you said you realized pretty early on that you were going to try to play at the college level, right, that you had interest in it. So how did that manifest itself as it related to recruiting, right? Did you, at, yeah. the, at that age, were you making the rounds, right, talking to coaches? What were the rules back then? Right? It was a little different. I really, you know, I have a vague recollection, maybe too many hits to the head. Um, but uh, I just remember uh, Coach Tillman actually coming. We used to have uh, coaches come to Gilman, and they would talk to boys about potentially playing there. And uh, Coach Dave Allen, who... Um, you know, is a phenomenal human being. He's still an assistant coach at Gilman. He was a longtime coach. He was at Loyola. He was a volunteer at uh, Johns Hopkins for a number of years. Um, he always got a group of us together to go meet with one of those coaches during our lunch period. Um, whether or not we really wanted to go there or not, it, it created that bond and, and you know, kept coaches coming back. And, and Coach Tillman came in and, you know, gave me a pamphlet about the Naval Academy. And I was like, this is really cool. Um, and, you know, I talked to Coach Allen afterwards and my parents and, you know, he was like, yeah, I think you have an opportunity that you can play at the next level. And, um, you know, I was enamored from, I think that was my sophomore year of high school and I was enamored with the Naval Academy at that point. Yeah, pretty incredible that a single high school has the, the depth, right, and the reputation to drag a college, D1 college coach on campus to meet with boys. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, you hear about it now with football, kind of more and more of college coaches just going to every high school and hitting high schools and talking to the coach and saying, who you got? And that was kind of because there wasn't the club scene as much, that was how you had to go right. about, you know, doing it and obviously developing relationships with those high school coaches. So I think, you know, obviously Gilman and, you know, Boys Latin is a mile away and St. Paul's is, you know, five miles away and McDonough's 10 miles away. So, you know, you're, you're, you're getting a lot of bang for your buck going in that kind of Baltimore metropolitan area. What's the, I think, um, maybe Donnelly talked about it in Dallas, the geographic proximity of the teams in Dallas. And, and he felt like that played an important role, right? And you just rattled off I mean, some of the best lacrosse school, high schools in the country, right? And you could throw a rock yep. and hit all of them, right? What, what do you think the importance is of that geographic proximity? 
Well, I think it just makes everybody better. I mean, everybody's competing. Everybody's got really good coaches, um, you know, specifically in the MIA. Um, but, you know, the geographic, you, you, that, you build that comp competition and camaraderie at the same time. I think, you know, I, I knew and played with, you know, all the boys from those different schools, and I think you want to beat them, right? And right. it elevates your level of, you know, if you have some familiarity with those young men, I think that makes it even sweeter when you do beat them, you know? So I think that that fuels the competition maybe a little bit more. And I think you're seeing that in Dallas a bit with Dallas Jesuit, you're seeing it with Highland Park, St. Mark's all being in, you know, pretty close proximity, ESD, um, and, you know, those guys making each other better. And I think the, that in, in turn makes those coaches work that much harder to develop the guys that they do have, knowing that if they're not doing something, the next guy is. Right. Um, what was the role at that point you know, in, in middle school and in your high school career, what was the role of just, just neighborhood games, pickup games, right? So that's one thing John and I talked about was just the lack of, of, of just sheer density in players here in Houston, right? Right. It's, it's not like you can round up eight boys from the neighborhood, right, and go play some four-on-four. Four, right. right. What what role did that play in, in, in your development? Um, it certainly played a role. You know, I wouldn't have played if I didn't have buddies that played because my parent, neither of my parents ever played. So uh, I think that drove it a bit. And then, you know, we were fortunate to have a really, really strong youth program. Towson Town, Lutherville, Cockeysville are three, were really strong, and they still are to this day, of where those young boys all began and start playing. So how were, when you were there, those, those three organizations that you just referred to, how were they organized? Um, you know, they were organized. They had a, you know, whether it was a double-A team or a single-A team and a B team of, you know, hundreds, you know, I want to say hundreds of boys in those programs uh, that really, um, you know, you wanted to be on those better teams. And again, if you weren't, if you weren't playing outside or in the backyard, you weren't getting any better. And I think, again, that competition drove kids to, to continue to get better, go to camps. I mean, I remember at Gilman, there was Bob Scott lacrosse camp. And that's like, that was a rite of passage as a, as a Gilman and as a, Baltimore kid to kind of go to um, and I remember going there and you know that's where I learned how to catch and throw at a so, young age. So was you know unfortunately you know when I, when I think of, of, of camps nowadays I almost, it almost has a negative connotation right it feels like it's part of the lacrosse economy which right. is a total bummer right so the Bob Scott lacrosse camp what was your I mean looking back on it right, as a kid you don't know but looking back on it I mean, was that a really a, a pure kind of coaching event? Was uh, it was it part of the economy? Was it a money grab? What, what was it? No, your... it was old school. Let's get kids there and teach them the right way to play the game and have fun. And I think that was it. And, you know, Bob Scott, you know, is a legendary, legendary coach from Hopkins that, you know, I think there's a statue at Homewood Field of Bob Scott. So um, don't quote me on that. But, I mean, there should be if there isn't. Um, just that his impact on the game and you know I think we've gone away from the, the fundamentals and the skills to a how can I make a buck and B, um, you know is this what this what is this going to get me and I think unfortunately it's well is this going to get me on the varsity team or is this going to get me access to college coaches rather than is this going to make me better right an opportunity to get better right Is, isn't and, that enough you know right? and, and granted i don't want to talk too cliche or too you know utopia but at the same time i think you know that's something that's you know lacking a bit 
um, in that regard of how do we get kids, specifically kids that don't have that competition and drive that so many kids are playing that you either it's feast or famine, you either get better or you're going to have a really tough time. Where we're in Houston, you know, at the threshold of where there's kid, a lot of kids who play a ton, but then that second gap of kids is really struggles. Yes. And it's finding, you know, those kids to A, buy in maybe a little bit more to what you're doing as a program, um, or B, you know, what are you doing to make it fun, or what are you doing to teach them life lessons through the game of lacrosse? And so, again, going back to that question of what do I get out of it, I think you've got to come up with maybe some different solutions than just, well, get better. Yeah, ex you know? Exposure. Exposure. <laughs> those, those uh, you know, common, you know, uh, buzzwords that yeah, you hear yeah, yeah. nowadays. So I apologize, I got us off on a tangent. Um, so you're attracted to the Naval Academy. Yeah. Um, it takes a special kind of something to be attracted to the Naval Academy, right? Yeah, I mean... How I did think, that happen? I think, uh, you know, I looked at it from a perspective, A, uh, my sister went to Holy Cross College, and I think my parents were paying a good bit of money for her to go there, and she was four years ahead of me. And, and, she, was, she, and she was smart. She was smart, and she came <laughs> home, I think, her freshman year, you know, winter, and had, a, you know, a 2-9, a and it was World War Three in my household, and I wanted to avoid that. Uh, knowing that I was not the, um, the the smartest in my family, so I think that drove me a bit. But also, you know, doing something a little bit different than my my buddies were. Um, I think that also drove me a bit in in the direction of the Naval Academy. And you know, the thought of uh, military service was kind of as a you know 16, 17 year old kid. You you don't really think about what the I don't want to say the consequences of that is, but the, the, the gravity of what your decision-making is. And right. I knew it was an awesome institution. My parents didn't have to pay for it. And it was a Division One program that was in the top 25. And there were, you know, I didn't have a lot of offers like that. And I think that combination really played a part in that. And you know, looking back on it, I, wouldn't, I, I, wouldn't, I would trade the world to be back in those guys' shoes right now. Um, and I think being part of the, the Navy lacrosse community and, and, and the friendships that I made and the bonds that I have um, are second to none and certainly, uh, um, you know, shaped me who I am as a coach, that's for sure. So how did your experience at Gilman prepare you for college lacrosse in general? And how did it prepare you for the Naval Academy specifically? Um, I think... You know, recognizing that you had to play really hard in practice and the game was almost uh, a luxury that um, practicing really hard. And granted, I wasn't the best college lacrosse player. I'm a much better coach, I'd like to think, than I was a player. Um, well, you, you played at Naval Academy, so. <laughs> um, yeah. I think uh, give yourself a little credit. <laughs> but, uh, you know, certainly understanding, you know, you play, you know, maybe 20 games a year, maybe but you practice a whole lot. Um, and I think understanding that and understanding what that competition looks like, that you know the guy behind you wants your job and you're trying to get the guy in front of you. Um, and I think understanding your role as a teammate. Uh, I think Gilman prepared me uh, for that, of being a good teammate, because not everybody can have the ball in their stick, not everybody can be the best player in the field, but finding a role on the team and being an integral part, um, I think that, that really proved for me to be um, you know, very influential in my experience at Navy. The, the idea that you just mentioned where you know, people have roles, right? players have roles, and 
there was always somebody behind you pushing you, right? And you had to realize that, right, and, and improve and get right. better. What role here locally, there's a real lack of depth, right? A real, I mean, like you said it earlier, right? Once you get past that, that first group of boys, man, it's, it's, it's tough, right? What role does that play in kind of perpetuating some very, you know, mediocre to average lacrosse? Yeah, it's tough. You know, you, you've got that first tier of guy that plays all the time, plays club, that gets it, you know, um, you know, you know is working in the off season, whether he's playing a different sport or whatever he's doing, he's got a stick in his hand. It's really that second level player of maybe it's not their primary sport or maybe it's something that they like to do just because their buddies play, so they want to be with their buddies of really finding a way to develop them. And get the, and again, I'll talk a lot about buying into it, of buying into your culture, your team. Again, what do you have to offer outside of just lacrosse that gets those boys to want to play for you and, and continue to develop. And I think I've been fortunate here, specifically at St. John's, to surround myself with a staff that really believes in what we're doing and cares about the kids first and foremost. I think that um, that level of relationship and and I don't want to call it a friendship because I don't know if it's necessarily a friendship but the bond that you coach to player and player to coach I think is super important and I think if you can uh, develop that I think that second tier of guy doesn't want to let you down nor does he want to let down his teammates and and, and right. you know brothers for lack of a better way to say it so I think you know getting them to buy into that and getting them you know whether it's a basketball kid that thinks that there's a basketball player but then buys into playing lacrosse and maybe then they do 10 minutes of stick work in the off season where before they weren't doing that you right. know that's a win right and i think those if you get a lot of those little wins over time those that second tier of boy um you know player wise ends up being a really a good player for you and then also finding a role for them right i think that's super important i think for us, you know, my program, I think we've really emphasized being a defensive midi and understanding what that role looks like. And I think we've got, you know, one of, if not the best defensive midi in Houston, he's one of the best in um, Isaac Blue. And, you know, he was a basketball kid and never really fancied himself a lacrosse player. But I think now as a senior, he might fancy himself a lacrosse player a little right. bit more than a basketball player. And I think that's, again, finding a role for a kid that doesn't have the best stick skills, but is athletic and can give you something and finding a role for them. There was a um, one of Jamie Monroe's virtual lacrosse summits. If you're, Which are great. If you're a junkie, right? You Fantastic. know what that is, right? One of those, oh my gosh, I forgot who it was, but he talked about that with within the context of wing play or faceoffs, and he talked about you know they had time during their practice that, that they devoted to wing play and faceoffs, right, and, and mastering that, and it was all about. Hey, we've got some athletic boys, right? Who might be underclassmen, right? Or may just as a sheer result of just you know numbers and 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 where they sit in the class, may not get an opportunity to play. But they they built this role, right? This wing role for these boys and and drilled it and and took it just as seriously as any other role on the team. Right. right? And yeah, I, you know, I think again, it's creating those roles for young men to strive for right and they want to get better and they don't want to let you down and they don't want to let their teammates down so i think again giving them a role that whether it's okay you're a lefty midi that you know we know you're going to sweep every time you get the ball and either you're going to shoot or you're going to pass it right in front of you 
that's a role for that boy. Right. Right. And finding more and more, and you can find that maybe a little bit more on the defensive end because they don't have to handle the ball quite as much. So again, just finding those roles, I think again makes it a little bit better for that boy that's kind of that second tier of wanting to strive to get better. So everything you just talked about, what the, the question that comes to my mind is, did you feel that way before you went into the Naval Academy or was that a result of being in the Naval Academy and serving in the military? Um, I, I think it's a combination, right? I think, you know, um, I was fortunate enough, my freshman year was when the Naval Academy went to the, the national championship game. So I was on a, like, my, that was my freshman year being on a special team. I've never been a part of a team that had the buy-in top to bottom, right? The scout guys, and I was a scout guy at the time, pushed the, the ones as best we could. And, like, we clamored to be the opponent's number one guy. And we, we, we kicked and screamed if we weren't that guy in practice. And that was kind of... Try and and you know maybe that's I'm looking awesome. at I, I love that <laughs> I'm looking at it from a perspective maybe I thought we were a little bit better than we probably were right and the and that was the ones taking it easy on us a little bit but I think you know we took pride during the game if we knew what they were doing and on the bench we could yell out to those guys what the other team was doing and then we'd always joke around like oh we did it better than they did you know um, but that was the the buy-in and I think. You know, we found our role there and we felt whether, you know, you got on the field at all during that year or you got on the field for a couple minutes, you felt a part of that team. Uh, you, you played know? a role. A role, right? Yeah. And I think that um, added to the, the the bond that we had as, as a group that year. And, you know, we lost by goal to Mikey Powell in Syracuse. And one of the coolest experiences that I've ever had was, you know, coming out of the tunnel at Raven Stadium, my hometown stadium, in front of, I think it was close to 50,000 people. Wow. Um, so that, you know, still gives me chill bumps. And, and But more so thinking about the guys that I played with, right? I, I was, you know, fortunate enough to play with John Bersner, Graham Gill, um, you know, Ian Dingman, uh, all the Looney Brothers, all those guys, um, you know, had an impact on, on who I am and how I coach. So for those who don't know, right, tell us a story about the, now I've, got, I've forgotten his first name, Looney. Yeah, uh, Brendan, you know, uh, Brendan, all three are our Navy SEALs, uh, Brendan, Steve, and Billy. Uh, Billy was my classmate, Steven was a year ahead of us, and then Brendan was uh, three years, he was a senior when I was a freshman. Um, and uh, just, you know, really took us under our wing, and, you know, that, that those three brothers, seeing them and their dynamic, and the family, you know, has three daughters as well, and they were instrumental in, the, in, in our program. And, you know, Brendan, unfortunately, lost his life uh, over in Afghanistan. Um, you know, looking out for a teammate, um, really. Um, and uh, that's certainly, you know, something that I reflect on quite a bit and has shaped, you know, certainly my coaching style and how I coach and, and making sure that I'm, you know, those bonds that our boys have hopefully, you know, goes beyond lacrosse. And, um, you know, again, trying not to sound too coach cliche or, you know, coach speak, but you know, that's really important for me and our program is to make sure that those boy, young men, you know, A, become good young men and B, whether they go play college lacrosse or, you know, go play club ball or go to the fraternity life, they're doing the right thing and, and learn those skills out on the field. So, yeah, no, no, no don't, don't apologize. That's not a cliche, right? So, you know, the, the, the conversation we're having is remarkably similar to the conversation I had with Donley, right? Which is like, 
I mean, just sitting next to you and Donnelly, right? I, I can feel it, right? I mean, he's he Donnelly is so passionate about being a teacher, right? It just oozes out of his right. pores, right? And I get the same vibe from you, right? There's no, absolutely not not, that, not a cliche, you know, right? It, 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 you know, I, I was really fortunate to have some really good coaches, you know, throughout my life, and. Um, more so that cared about me as a human being than they did as a lacrosse player, but also made me a better lacrosse player. So, you know, I, I was fortunate to have Coach Mead, um, who's at Furman University and was at the Naval Academy, you know, for close to 20 years. And, you know, I, I was fortunate enough, he gave me my first job in college coach as a uh, volunteer assistant at, at Furman. Um, and, you know, I've, you know, I've learned a tremendous amount from him. I've learned from um, you know, John Tillman was the was my OC at Navy when I was there. Uh, Ryan Moran was a young coach who's now the head coach at UMBC. Mark Goers, uh, one of the best faceoff guys ever, um, who's the, the opposite at Navy now. Uh, and the list goes on and on. Eric Saramet, um, who's who's now the Rutgers offensive coordinator while I was an assistant at Air Force. Uh, Billy Wilson, who's now the head coach at Air Force all these guys kind of played a role in not only my development as a coach but development as a as a as a husband as a father um as a friend as a brother um as a son so i think that combination of guys i'm just very fortunate to have that background and be able to call just about each each and every one of those guys um if anything comes up and you know certainly um you know, Coach Saramet gave me an opportunity at Air Force to get my feet wet as an offensive coordinator at the Division One level, and you know, trusted me with that, and we had some success. And you know, it was—I I owe him a lot, and and I'm certainly grateful for that. And you know, I think his care for not only me, but me as a coach, but also me as a person, and a, as a as a newlywed, and all those things plays a huge part into who I am. So I think those guys. Um, you know, I, I'm very fortunate to have the pedigree that I do, and I think I'm very. Um, I, I hope to pay that forward. Yeah, yeah. The. So when did you graduate from the academy? I graduated in 2007, and um, I, I went on and I did um, almost just under shy of seven years of active duty service. Oh, wow. And, um, in what capacity? Not, um, nothing I, to do with lacrosse. Yeah, cross, no, I was a surface warfare officer for. Um, for, you get basically that was my um, my specialty. So I was on a ship for two and a half years. I uh, did three deployments on her, uh, two to Southeast Asia and one to South America, where we did some counter drug ops, some really cool stuff. And um, you know, again, goes back to it taught me how to be a leader. Right, I was in front of you know 20 to 25 guys as a 24 year old ensign, just graduated from the Naval Academy. So. Um, you know, I got to learn on my feet, and right. I was again fortunate to have some really good senior enlisted personnel that helped me out. So dur during that period, right? Which I, I don't know, the average person may look at that period and go, "Well, he didn't play lacrosse." Um, I so just it, there I, there is there is a there is right yeah. kind of a club scene and a lacrosse scene. My my brother-in-law was in the Marine Corps, right? Right, and I, I know that there's folks in the military in the Marine Corps who play i have no clue how or where or you know how it's organized but i know it exists yeah it's, right? it's huge you know it was um really uh it was a lot of the southern california and I, I was out of san diego for four years and really the southern california lacrosse scene really grew once those navy guys um graduated and came out there because we all still had the itch we all still wanted to play um some of us got into coaching right away and whether it was we helped at a youth 
you know, clinic or whether we helped at, you know, the local youth league or myself, I was fortunate my ship schedule was we deployed every, you know, April, May through October or, or, or November. So I was able to coach right when I got out there right away and I was fortunate to hook on at a, a private school out there, Francis Parker High School, um, and I got into coaching right away. So was there, were there other coaches, players like you who were in the Navy, who that was a, that was a natural conduit for that local scene to find players and coaches? And yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, the LA Riptide was the MLL team back then. Yeah. Um, and there was a number of Navy guys that played because they were all stationed out there. Gotcha. Um, so that was a, another avenue for guys to continue to play and continue to, you know, scratch the itch a bit. There was a club circuit there of, you know, you know, your league lacrosse, for lack of a better way to say it, that was really competitive because you had a lot of good players out there who still got after it. Um, so I think that generated a lot of that Southern California and adrenaline was just starting to pick up in Southern California. Yeah. So I think those converge a little bit and I think that elevated the play right away and, and got boys interested at a really young age. And now you see it's a pretty really good product in that Southern California area. Um, was, was that your first coaching gig? That was, yeah. Was it? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, I thought I knew everything and, you know, um, and I learned really quickly that, uh, you know, it was it was harder than it looked. So what was the first age group that you coached? Um, we, my house, I was with uh, Pat Winter, Nick Marabito, um, and a couple other guys um, that were, uh, Matt Russell, um, who was a goalie, um, Mitch, um, uh, I'm blanking on his last, oh, terrible, I can't remember names. Um, Mitch Hendler was a, you know, first team All-American. Matt Russell was a first team All-American. We were all lived in a house together and we coached the youth little adrenaline league together. It was probably, I want to say there were seven, eight year olds. We were Team Orange. I remember the t-shirt. <laughs> I love um, the Team Orange. <laughs> yeah, so we would wake up Saturday morning uh, that was a struggle most of the time, but uh, we would go up there, and I think it was uh, just a little north in Del Mar, Rancho Bernardo area, and we would go coach that team up. So, so is that where you discovered, hey, man, I could be a coach? Um, yeah, you know, it was always, I think, you know, I think I always thought of myself of, you know, I'm going to go in the Navy, do my thing, get out, and go to Wall Street, because I had seen a lot of other guys do it, and I thought that's what I wanted to do. But once it got at that four-year mark, you kind of have to start to make a decision of whether you're going to stay in or get out. Um, and I was like, I don't know if I can sit behind a desk and, and do that. Um, so I was like, well, how can I prolong that? And I was fortunate enough, John Bersner, who's now the head coach at BMI, um, he took over the job at the Naval Academy Prep School, which is where most of the Naval Academy recruits go to and play a year because you can't redshirt at the Naval Academy. So they go up there in Newport, Rhode Island, and I was fortunate enough to finish my Navy career in Newport as a teacher um, up there, and I was able to work my schedule so that I could be at practice, so I was his assistant. So it was John and I, and it was a lot of learning on the job. They were really good players. Uh, Chris Finnell, um, you know, a, a, a slew of Division I guys that um, ended up being All-Americans that we coached at NAPS. And, you know, it was John and I, we would drove, drive the 15-packs van to Long Island, play, you know, two or three teams, drive back. Um, 
you know, we drive up to Deerfield. We would play, um, you know, a bunch of the um, Taft and a bunch of those other really good prep schools and see what our guys had. And we practice every day. And um, it was really our, you know, Petri dish for coaching what worked and what didn't so was that a paid gig uh, no that... i did that john was stationed there as a company officer and lacrosse coach okay so that was his gig and i did it kind of on the side all right um and that kind of parlayed into um it was i guess it was 2013 coach me to taken over the Furman job um about a year before but they did it he was there about a year before they really started to bring all the boys in and get it going and John knew he was getting out, and he had already been hired as an assistant coach down there to be the offensive coordinator. And one night we were out, and I was like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I'm not quite sure because I was about a year away, and John was just getting out, and I was still about, you know, a year away. So I had some, some flexibility there. And John jokingly was like, why don't you come down and be the volunteer assistant? And I was like, that would be kind of cool. Um, put the band back together a bit. and and uh, really get my feet wet. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough, I saved a couple bucks, so I was in the Navy, and, you know, my parents helped me out a bit because as a volunteer, you don't make anything. Right. So um, got in my car and uh, got down to Greenville, South Carolina, and we were in a trailer to start, uh, you know, all four of us because we didn't have any lacrosse facility. And, you know, we went from having, you know, no balls on campus to uh, 60 freshmen playing Lehigh on February 7th. I think it was, um, you know, a year later. So, um, but how much fun I had this discussion yesterday. Um, how much fun was it knowing you were going into that situation? You were going to invest all the sweat equity and time you could right to build something. Right. I mean, how much fun was that? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I, I think, you know, again, I, like I said before, I owe a lot to coach me a tremendous amount. Um, and pretty much any job I've had, he's been a, a, a huge uh, proponent of me and advocate of me. And, you know, he's one of the godfathers, so he knows everybody. So, you know, his phone call goes a long way. Um, so I'm very fortunate to have that. And, um, you know, going down there and, you know, I think he trusted us maybe a little bit more than a normal volunteer would, knowing my background, knowing that I played for him, knowing the type of person I was and, you know, being having my military experience that it wasn't, you know, I wasn't a normal volunteer, just, you know, out of college, just having played. Um, right. So I think he treated me as such and gave me a lot of um, kind of, I think he gave all of us, Andrew Athens, who's the associate head coach there still, and John, you know, Bursner, um, he gave us a lot of latitude to try to get our coaching feet, you know, and get our um, get our legs underneath us in that yeah. regard. Yeah, I mean, that's a... You, you, that's important. So, so people focus on coaches and coaches building players, right? And young men you talked about, right? But there's a role there somewhere for a head coach to also build coaches. Yeah, right? I, you know, um, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I've always taken the approach of I want guys that want my job, you know? Right. Um, and I think if you don't take that approach, you're, you're missing – the, the energy and the passion and the investment. And I've been fortunate with my staff here at St. John's with Ronnie Ben Cosme, Kyle Dowd, and now with Pete Marin coming on, um, of those guys being invested just as much as I am and um, giving them the gravity to, to have you know a side of the ball, but also let, like let's make decisions. And right. you know, I'm sure you know Pete 
was probably forgotten more lacrosse than I know. Um, you know, that's a, that's a that's a jab at his age, by the way. Um, but uh, uh, joking aside, you know, I, those guys, you know, I learn just as much from them as they do from me, and I think that's important. And I think, you know, I certainly I was more in the learning phase with my first couple years at at, at Furman, uh, and then certainly going to Air Force. That was, you know, we were at another level, um, you know, uh, competitively. And uh, you know, trying to figure out that dynamic of of putting the best product on while also balancing the military side, and you know, those boys um, working, you know, they'll run through a wall for you, but you want to be able to, you know, not just have the most athletic team out there, but the best team. Right. And um, I think that was something that I learned. And then, you know, my first year at Air Force, trying to manufacture goals because I had a very a young group offensively, and we were eight and seven and weren't very good. What, what was your role at Air Force? I was the offensive coordinator. What was your role at Furman? I was the volunteer assistant. So, um, uh, you know, I ran the box and helped out on kind of all sides of the ball. So how long were you at, at Furman? I was at Furman for a year and a half. Man, before. so you jumped from that directly to the, the offensive coordinator job at Air Force. Yeah, I mean, it was, I don't want to say, you know, Eric was really the OC and, and then as I got my feet wet, kind of gave more and more my yeah. way and eventually got to, you got it. Um, but he always had his, you know, he was the final word. But uh, we, we agreed on a lot of philosophy, philosophy, X and O's, all that stuff. So it was, it was pretty seamless, um, you know, and, you know, Coach Saramit played for Coach Mead at North Carolina. So that, that, that helped, I think. Right. Um, so for me, you know, it was a it was a learning curve, but it was a challenge for me, right? And we went from eight and seven to then, you know, we went to I think we were fifteen and two, winning a SoCon championship and um, making it to the first round of the tournament. So was that twenty fifteen? Yeah. Um, so we beat Richmond um, in the final of the kind of the first time we were in, eligible for that SoCon championship. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a special time, and the, the, the boys that, you know, and again, I had a Texan down there, Nate Ruby, was one of my best players. Um, and I also had a Gilman kid, who was Chris Walsh. Um, so great players and better people. How did, your, how did your experience at a military academy help you at Air Force as a coach? Um, I think, it, you know, it was two-sided, right? It was I understood what they were going for, but I also, you know, I could call them out when I knew, like, nah, now nah, you guys have to be there, or you guys have to go to this, or, you know. So I kind of had an understanding, and I think they they knew that I had been in their shoes, and I think that goes a long way because it's not easy, right? It's not for everybody, and they go through. You know, I don't want to say it's you know it's it's terrible, but it's tougher, and I think having an understanding of what they're going through and knowing when to push and lay off, I think helped me in, in developing those relationships, individual relationships, but also them trusting me uh, yeah, that's important. It's, it's one thing you know, for me, I always, I find credibility being able to relate to players that I coach. Now, I, you know, I still play, right? I mean, trust me, it's purely right? <laughs> but I still play. And even in that regard, right, I, I, can, I can relate. So even in a, a college situation where you're just relating to lacrosse players, it's one thing, but trying to re relate to a boy who's at a service academy and playing a sport, that's tough, right? So that's instant credibility for you, right? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think, you know, I, it was tough, right? I went into a situation, um, you know, Coach Saramit um, had just lost his wife uh, the year prior, 
and went through a really hard time uh, with his family. And I think that I kind of um, was on the, um, you know, the, 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 the tail end of the, the moment, but um, certain the, the beginnings of the grieving process for Coach Saramet. Um, and I think, um, you know, that was a really tight team because of the tragedy that they went through. So um, I think I was aware of that, but I don't think I knew um, exactly the, how close they were as a group, and that was pretty special. Once, once I gained their trust and confidence, and I think, again, it's that fine line of um, being hard on them and expecting a lot, but also knowing when to um, let them know and kid around. And I, I often go back to you know um, a specific time. Um, it was Easter, my first year there. Um, my wife and I, we had just gotten, we were engaged at the time, living together out in Colorado. Um, we didn't know anybody there. And um, one of the sponsor parents, so at, at the Academy, they all have sponsor parents, a family in the, in the neighborhood or around the Academy, brings them into their home and lets them, you know, because they can't have all campus housing or any of that stuff. So right. it's a really special bond that they create for four years through, and usually they last a lifetime. Um, so there was one mom in particular that hosted a, a bunch of the boys um, and sponsored them lacrosse players. And she had for years and years and years. And she invited us over for Easter supper. And, um, you know, I think that was really the first time that those boys saw me outside of being Coach Cone, this hard, you know, former military Naval Academy lacrosse player. And they saw me with my wife and they saw that I was just like them. And I think that broke down some barriers for them to be like, oh, he's he's hard, but he's like kind of a normal guy outside. Right. And I think that's something that I've always, I didn't realize it at the time, but my wife pointed it out to me that um, they need to see that. So I think, you know, specifically at St. John's, you know, I, my, my son's now 15 months. Like I want them to be a part of that. And I want my son to be a part of that. And I think it's important to have that, A, the family atmosphere, but also, um, them to see you that you aren't this crazy coach that all he thinks about is lacrosse 24 7 right I do but at the same time I think it's good to show them that you have that I don't want to say human side but it is a human side yeah, yeah. Um, so I think dialing them into that and again that builds the trust and relationship so that when you're down a goal with two minutes to go and you call a timeout they know that you're gonna do the right thing or at least attempt to do the right thing for them um, so that's again part of how I coach and what I think about and you know I hope that I, I went down a pretty long tangent no there, no that's awesome man I, I love that people go down thoughtful tangents yeah. I'm all about that so how you said you were at I think you said you were at Air Force Academy for a year and a half Very close I was at Furman for about a year and a half and then uh, fortunate enough to get the job at Air Force and then got had that job for uh, about two and a half three years and then decided that, um, you know, the travel, the recruiting, my wife was like, you know, you got to make a decision. Like, I'm in for this, but understand you're going to miss a lot of things. And I wanted to find the best of both worlds. And uh, I was fortunate enough, um, you know, the St. John's opportunity came up through um, kind of some Gilman connections that I had. Um, and I, you know, was fortunate enough to get an interview down here. and. Um, I was blown away um, from the facilities. Obviously, we're sitting here. Uh, yeah, cool. yeah. 
um, but the, the <laughs> tremendous support, the um, it aligned the, the school philosophy, how they develop young men and young ladies, um, certainly aligned with what I do, and then uh, just the people, right? From the headmaster to the athletic director to the custodians, um, all care about making developing young men and young women into into like the best people they possibly can be and I think that is in line with what I'm about and um, I think it was a, a really good fit for me um, and I wanted to be a head coach too right and I knew as a head coach right uh, or in college as an assistant coach you know the, the odds of you getting a head coach really slim right you got to be lucky you got to be good you got to be a great coach you got to be a great recruiter all those things which I think you know, I was pretty good, right? But you got to have a little luck on that as well. Right. Um, and you know, of the you know probably 35 schools that I would be really interested in being a head coach of a Division One program, my wife would probably want to live in probably about you know 10 of those. So you know, then the odds <laughs> really start to dwindle um, at that point. Um, and not to say you know, uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say I wanted to be Division One head coach, right? But um, I think St. John's, the opportunity came up and, and this school um, really met everything that I really looked for in, a, in being a head coach at a program. And, the, and again, the support, the people, um, and the kids, right? Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to meet a couple of the kids and, and, uh, and, and parents that are really, um, you know, want to see the, the program improve. And, um, I was impressed. I came away just super impressed, and I was fortunate enough to get get an offer. And you know, I said yes. And I, you know, the hardest thing was telling that locker room at Air Force that you know I was going to go do this. But again, that relationship that I had with those boys, they understood, right, right? right? And they knew it was a great opportunity for me to grow as a human being and as a coach and for my family. Um, so um, you know, I'm, I feel every day I feel very privileged and fortunate to have the opportunity here and I certainly don't take that for granted Platt when I when I talked with Platt he cracked me up um, he said he took the job right at, at Kincaid and was traveling down here and got here and then realized well it's not a sanctioned school sport in Texas right <laughs> <laughs> which speaks to his attention to detail I think maybe <laughs> yeah so so when you took the gig here you know, in, in the in the macro, right? Did you understand kind of lacrosse's place in Texas? Did you care? Because it sounds like you found a really specific, really nice spot for you and your family, right? So, did did you care about the macro? I mean, did it did it did you know about it? Did it matter? Um, you know, I did a little digging. You know, I did a little homework before just to kind of see the landscape and what it was like, and. Um, you know, certainly I think that played a role. I don't know if I would have left because you just started to see some bigger college coaches start to take some jobs down here. So talk, talking to a couple of those guys to try to get what the landscape was and, and how it was structured and because it is different. Um, and, and specifically, if you don't know, uh, I think, right. you know, like Coach Platt said, you know, you can be a little taken aback by the structure of it all. Um, but um, I think from my perspective, um, you know, I like the fact that the school was really behind it. The athletic director was really behind lacrosse. Um, and um, 
I don't know if I would have left for a, um, you know, a club program. Um, I don't know if I would have left, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't. Uh, and not no no disrespect. There, there's plenty of teams that do it the right way, and 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 do it the um, and are really good and uh, have outstanding coaches and outstanding board members and get it. But um, you know, it was a little uh, that dynamic. I think um, is very fluid. It, it absolutely is. Um, I mean, I, and I can tell you from you know from my personal experience, whether it's you know however long I've been doing this, 11 or 12 years or 10 years or whatever it's been, whether starting teams or starting boards or governing or coaching, man, some of it is just so fickle, man. You, you know, you there's a, there's a change in the board leadership, right, or a certain group of parents gets in charge, right? And we, we talked a little bit about this on another topic, but, like, this is how you feed your family. Right. Uh, right? This is, this is and, 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 and the idea that some – some crazy group of parents is going to take over a majority on a board, right, and run you off because you didn't give Billy enough, little Billy enough playing time. That's, that's bonkers, right? There, you're, there, it seems to me, and I want you to speak to this because I think it's accurate, the, the private school scene, right, there's a little more insulation there, right? You, 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 you've, you've got a little more leeway to, to, to be a coach and make decisions, and, you know, you're not feeling the heat of, of board members and, 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 and wacky decisions that could take place, you know, in the blink of an eye, right? Right. I, you know, I think there's some, I think regardless of where you could, whether it's a division one level or, you know, whether you're a club coach or, uh, you know, or a Texas high school lacrosse league coach, I think there's always that possibility, right? Wherever you coach that, you know, it could be your last game. Um, so I think that dynamic doesn't change quite as much, but certainly, you know, the security-wise, um, from a private school perspective of, of having a headmaster and having an athletic director that give you direction and you're, you know, you're responsible to them. Right. Um, I think, you know, certainly gives me a little bit more of, I can breathe a little bit easier. Not to say, you know, I, I want to win. And I think that's, uh, that's an important right. aspect of, to remember. And I think even at the Division One level, I think you still feel that way and more obviously more so but um i think you know there's still that parent dynamic of donors and that's you true. know um, that's true so the, the, it, it it it's you know it's might be a different scenario but same circumstances that's so I, you know I, I you know but you do hear the nightmares you know you do hear more nightmares than you do hear well this is great the board's great like or my ad is great you know he's so supportive you hear the night you don't hear that stuff you hear the nightmares um so it's certainly out there, but um, specifically to, to to my situation in St. John's, again, I I, I I you know I am so thankful and so fortunate um, to have the opportunity here to work for the people that I do and to have the type of kids that I do. Now I have my challenges, right? Yeah. You know, admissions is tough. Um, uh, you know, the caliber of kid that walks through these doors is outstanding. And, um, you know, trying to find an outstanding academic kid and him being a great lacrosse player, you know, you're talking, it's tough, right? But we do have some of them. Um, and we have a lot of kids that really want to be good and work really hard. And that's my job is to develop them. And, you know, I like that aspect of, okay, I might not be able to say or have the, the pool of players that I want, 
but it's my job to develop the kids that I have in my program. I take that, um, and my coaching staff takes that very seriously. So whether you're teaching throwing and catching or, you know, pick slip, you know, you're trying to make that whatever group you have better. Um, and, um, you know, we, we have our challenges here. It's not, you know, a utopia, but it's pretty darn good. Um, so it's all relative. Trust me. It's yeah, utopia. Exactly. Are you, so are you coaching? Shoot. And I did, I just forgot Jim's name. So back in the day when my son played for John Peraudi, he had a defensive coach, Jim, and now his name escapes me. Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. Murphy. Is he still bumping around? Yeah. He's still, he's so still are you, are, with my, are, my eighth grade team. Are you involved in coaching the, the younger boys as well? Are you the head coach over all of it? Yeah. Or? I'm the head okay. coach over all of it. So, okay. um, you know, I'm, again, fortunate to have guys like Jim Murphy, um, Andrew McCullough, my JV head coach, who is fantastic, um, uh, Andrew McFarlane, um, and a couple other guys that are, uh, you know, just awesome human beings um, that really care about the kids and um, really do a great job. So um, I was, and, and again, I, that, that is all a testament to what Sam Chamberlain Chambers created here um, and the culture that he created. Um, so, uh, you know, again, keeping that standard high is super important, but also the people that were already here um, were great, right? And I think, you know, I've been fortunate to keep a lot of those guys around and in the program and a part of it. So, you know, we have a blended sixth, seventh group and an eighth grade team, and then a JV program and a varsity program. So, like, your, your sixth, seventh team. In, you know, going into this season, how many bodies do you have on, on that um, six seventeen? We've got about thirty in the wow. middle school program, so um, you know we're getting some traction that way. We also I do a little you know youth clinic here on Saturdays in the fall um, called Shellback Lacrosse. Um, that you know a lot of kids in this area, kind of the inner loop area, uh, are part of. And a lot of kids from St. John's, and I go first grade through eighth grade. So, and what do you, what is that called again? Shellback. So, is that? I mean, it sounds like what you described isn't necessarily St. John's specific, right? No, it's if, open. If, if a kid walks up. Yep, and uh, you know, the big thing for us is, you know, I've been fortunate to hang on to a lot of equipment. Um, so, you know, a boy signs up, and um, he doesn't need any equipment. We can outfit him uh, here for that. That we'd go two hours every Saturday from about mid-September to early November, That's and it's awesome. a lot of beginners. When and what what day of the week and what it's time? It's Saturdays, two to four, um, and we started uh, September. Uh, was it the second weekend September? And we go through the first weekend in November. And it's here. And it's yeah, it's here. And um, you know, uh, we have about sixty kids out there right now, and all just trying to get better. And it's a lot of throwing and catching, a lot of scooping ground balls, a lot of fun. But um, and it, you know, it's, any fee free? Uh, it is a fee. Yeah, okay. we, you know, we got. I got to pay the guys that are out there. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's a it's a fee, but I think we're competitively priced. And cool. and you know, and again, my thing is, I don't want to there. I don't want there to be a, a, a barrier to entry yep. for a boy that wants to give it a try. So we have a lot of kids that have never played, and we'll come work with you. And it's really cool because my players also help out with that. So they come in and give their time, and I pay them a couple bucks, too, to come out there. And again, it's trying to create that environment that I had at Gilman of That's saying, 
you know, I want to be Ryan Boyle in the backyard. Yeah. And hopefully these guys are saying, I want to be Peter Cannon or I want to be Cameron Howley. Or, I oh, want they to are, be... So, you know, my experience when, when building and developing youth programs, right, the sooner you get those varsity boys involved, they're rock stars. Yeah, right? absolutely. So you, know, you get them out here on the weekend with those boys, and they're rock stars, right? And, and these kids just... Yeah, absolutely. And you should say, I mean, they're fantastic with the, the kids. And I think that's probably the most special thing that I see from it and I take away from it. Granted, it's hot and it's hard work. It's, you know, I usually take the little guys, so I have the first graders and it's like herding cats. But, um, you know, it's a blast. And, you know, I think for me, it's seeing my kids them go from freshmen going out there and being bashful with the kids to now they're seniors and they're pulling them over the shoulder and running around with them and I think my boys look forward to they're always when does shellback start when does shellback start and they want to get out there because they enjoy being with those young boys and teaching them yeah I mean think of all think of all the good that comes out of that you as a coach I mean, being somebody who's coached before, that recharges your batteries. Absolutely. Going out there and running around with a bunch of first and second graders, that just yeah. recharges your batteries. The the boys that are here, right, who are who are here to participate as players, right, they're getting really great coaching, right, just kind of the, the basics, right? And then your St. John's kids are here, and the lacrosse is inconsequential for that group of boys. Absolutely. right? And from your perspective, you want to see them, man, just being human, right? Being a good human yeah, and taking absolutely. care of a kid and, yeah. and showing him the ropes and, and finding that kid who's, eh, you know, a little quiet, kind of hanging around in the back and bringing him forward and, and you know, act and, and, and getting him to participate, right? Yeah, we've been really fortunate. It's been cool to get some of the emails from parents saying, you know, it's my kid had a blast, his confidence through the roof. It had nothing to do with me, but it had everything to do with the, the, the sophomore player that, you know, had a conversation with them yeah, or yeah. high-fived them and just giving them that confidence that they're trying something that they're probably not very good at, that they haven't done a lot of, right. and they're out there giving it their best. And whether they fail or whether they're, you know, successful, it doesn't really make a difference. But they're learning how to to overcome those fears a bit. And granted, it's just lacrosse. But, um, and then they're getting the encouragement from my, my guys, and they're encouraging. And then it's also fun because you see the guys that help me with the first graders are like, Coach, this is so hard. I don't know how you do it. And I'm like, this is what practice is like with you guys every single day. So just understand that. So that's kind of fun, too. I just, I don't know if anyone can tell, but we lost our soundtrack. Oh, nice. I guess the, the girls. The silence here. Yeah, is, the field uh, hockey practice wrapped up. Um, that's super cool, man. I, I didn't realize you had that going on here. Yeah. It's and that's the kind of little pearl during this process that I dig up. That just blows me away. Yeah, you know, it's open to anybody, and, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it's something that um, is uh, is something that I wanted to do. Yeah, And, yeah. you know, um, uh, give back a little in that regard of uh, trying to make the next generation a little bit better. And, again, it's not, you know, we're not doing anything earth-shattering, but we are getting sticks in hands and kids, you know, throwing the ball around in, in mid-September when maybe they're, you know, maybe they're playing football or maybe they're doing something else and, you know, they come for two hours, have a little fun, and maybe they meet somebody new, or maybe they, they get impacted by one of my guys, you know, they learn their name, or, you know, now see them around, whether they come to a game of ours, or whether they see them, you know, we have a bunch of St. John's boys that are lower school kids that are there that now have that connection with an upper schooler that they didn't have before. And um, that's that's super special for me. So are you, um, 
Are you on the faculty here? Are you, are you teaching classes? Or yeah, you're just I am. A coach? I'm a PE, uh, PE instructor as well. All right. So that's, so that's cool because that's one thing, you know, again, going back to Donovan, that's my frame of reference, right? We talked right. a little bit before we started. I, I see very distinct. There's a big difference between private school and public school in this town regarding coaches and players and organizations. And, you know, Donnelly gushed about the ability to have access to these boys during the day, right? I mean, do you find that yeah, that's I think important time for I you? I think it's awesome. Um, you know, I think some of my favorite times is going in the cafeteria and, you know, whether it's, you know, what it's not certainly, it's not during their lunchtime, but they can go in there kind of whenever, starting from 11 till to the end of lunch around 1.30. And a lot of my boys have off periods in between there, so they're just hanging out in there. And I'll go grab my lunch and sit down in there with them and catch up. And those little times that we have yeah, yeah. to joke around or I can ask them about what's going on beyond just a lacrosse field, you know, I find super special. Um, and then also, you know, I, I, I'm also an advisor at the upper school level as well. So I have eight, um, that, uh, eight students, boys and girls, um, that I'm responsible for from freshman year to um, senior year that, you know, I normally wouldn't have any interaction with. Um, so that, that I find, like, it's awesome. It's one of my favorite parts of my day is um, getting to know them and, and having a small piece in their maturation and their de development. So that part is, is super special. So, you know, getting back to what Mike said, I think being a teacher um, is, is, a, is a huge part of who I am. And, um, you know, and not necessarily in the classroom per se, but, um, you know, teaching those little lessons here and there where I can interject. And, you know, I'm a big proponent of that sports offer a unique setting where you can cry, bleed, have success, fail in in a minute. There's no other atmosphere where that, that can happen. And I think that's why sports, whether you want to play at the next level or you just want to play on Friday nights and be done with it, I think it's so crucial for the development of young men and women. Um, and, uh, you know, that's certainly something that I, you know, try to hang my hat on as a coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, here in the Houston area, right, there, there really is just a handful of private schools, right? And it's an overwhelming number of public schools that are playing lacrosse. And I, I, I struggle with the difference, right? Platt talked about the differences, which are obvious, right? Resources, and Platt's an interesting cat because he's been on both sides of the fence. Right. Right. He's got access to resources. Right. He's, he, to your point, he, he was around the kids all day long. Right. There was never a question of fields or, or, or lights or anything like that. And, and and I almost feel like, and maybe this isn't a question. This might just be me rambling. And if it is, you can no, just tell me to shut yeah. up. Right. I. I, I it almost feels like you know the discussion about having it as a sanctioned school sport. We keep having that discussion over and over. There's no evidence that anyone's really doing anything legitimately about it. You know, um, I know of, of of efforts that go back 12 years. Sure. I'm sure it goes back farther than that. And it just feels like you know there's we can't even get organized around how we change the rules at THSLL and how we you know do we want to change how we govern the sport ourselves, much less everybody coalesce around an effort to have it sanctioned. I mean, as I go through this process and talk to more and more people, I almost feel like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the, the lacrosse scene here was dominated by private schools. Not even that long ago, frankly. I almost feel like we're headed in that, back in that direction where, you know, we've had this period where 
man, the public schools caught on, you know, they developed some programs, there were some nice teams, you know, but I almost feel like we're all, we're going to end up back where we're looking at private schools and private school competition. That's going to really be the, the, the center of the lacrosse universe. Am, am, am I, am I babbling? Am I nuts? Um, I mean, have you, you know, been here long enough to have I don't think Woodlands is going anywhere. I don't think Highland Park's going anywhere. Right, right. Um, you know, those guys, Coach Moses and Coach Tintel, you know, do a fantastic job. And, and, you know, they're managing, you know, the whole youth or organization right. from top to bottom. So that's a whole nother ball of wax, um, which is difficult, right? You can spend every night or, you know, out on a field somewhere. Yep. And, you know, I, I, you know, I know Coach Tintel is a single guy, but I, I'm not quite sure about Coach Moses, but I think he's a married guy. So, you know, he How might be a divorced that, right? guy if he yeah. was out every night. Um, but, uh, you know, trying to manage that and finding the help and finding all that stuff is, is a job within itself. Um, so do I think we're going to go, you know, I don't know. I, I think, you know, the, there are really good coaches down here. And I think they're, they're going to continue to rise, right? You see that, you know, so Southlake, we lost to them last year in the regional. And that was a really good lacrosse team. And Coach Frady did a fantastic job with that group. Um, they played hard, they were tough, right? And that they, they were always on the cusp and they've been pretty good, you know. Um, but, th- but there's the double-edged sword, right? And it's obvious. And we, he got we, them over the edge. That's we, what I was trying to get. Yeah, we, we have this discussion all the time with, with you know, the group here in Houston and my friends is, you're, you're dead on. There are good coaches, right? And there are good coaches in that public school universe there's a trade-off there and, and, and people people talk about it but a lot of times they overlook it great it's a school sanctioned sport 95% of those coaches are done right yeah yeah you know and I and, think there would have to be some sort of uh, waiver or some sort where where you because you couldn't exist right at, at that point and there's a trade-off there right because the resources we were just talking about your sanctioned school sport all of a sudden you get these resources lights imagine that as a public school program yeah. to have lights yeah, and that's, right? that's tough for me i don't i don't i don't feel any of those right right, right. so not to say i'm not cognizant of it but I, yeah. um it, i don't have that experience at being in those shoes but now you know why everybody in my shoes is so jealous of the position that you have <laughs> well, again it's it's a, it's, a, it's a privilege and i don't take that lightly um but certainly you know i think those coaches and you know you see it with coach platt down here you know um you see it with coach tintle um you know uh coach limming at, at memorial does a great job um you know so it can be done and it can be done the right way coach frady coach moses right i mean those are those are the coaches you see it even um you know now bridgeland um is doing a is a great coach mcgraw is doing a great job up there um so you see that you bring the coaches in and if they're given an opportunity to develop and they have the fields and the resources what they can do with that um so i'm hopeful that that just keeps moving the needle in the right direction of making it more and more competitive um now do i think it's perfect no i think there does need to be some changes and you know i think it was a um you know we had some some discussions about that at the most recent THSLL meetings and um, you know we didn't get st- some stuff passed but I think we're moving in the right direction and we're better than we were um, and I think that's a testament you know to Joe Donahue who's doing a really good job as the interim you know president and and the board um, 
but yeah, do, do we need to make some changes? Of course. And, um, you know, I, I think, but we're on the right direction. And I think there's a lot of solutions out there, but finding the, 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 the blend of those, I think is super important and doing it the right way. You don't want to go back right. and say, well, we should have done, we should have, could have, would have, let's get it right. And it's not going to be perfect, but if we can get to a 90% solution of something that works for everybody and right, it, it, it it's not going to work for everybody. It's going to, yeah. you know, it's gonna, some, there's going to be some collateral damage. But um, I think if we continue on the path that we, we are on, I think we're going to be better in the next couple of years. So. Yeah. All right. How long have we been here? Oh, man. It's been an hour. Yeah. Oh. Seems like it's been 20 minutes, maybe. It does, right? Yeah. These things, that was awesome. I, man, I, that was awesome. Um, I loved getting to meet you. Absolutely, um, and I appreciate it it's yeah, so much. I hope we get to keep in, in touch, yeah, keep in contact. Yeah, it's um, and eventually, someone. It's 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 funny as I've been doing these, everybody's got opinions. Origi- I, I've told the story originally. I was just gonna do a few interviews and be done with it and put it on the shelf. Right, it's kind of got its own legs. Now everybody's got opinions. Someone the other day said, "Well, you should go back after a year or two years or some increment and go talk to all the same people." Right? Yeah. Like, hey, that's kind of well, cool. Yeah, I'm right? totally open to that. And then uh, the idea that popped up today that I, I tweeted about a little bit was uh, let's try to find some boys who were Houston products that are playing in college and go talk to them. Right? How did, did, did your Houston career, did it help you, hurt you, right? Did it prepare you for where you are now or not, right? What would, what would you have wanted done different, had to seem different? Right, in your high school career, right? right? So, yeah, this is going to go a million different ways, but I'd love to reserve the right, you know, next year or something to come back and, and sit, yeah. sit right here, right? Yeah, and, you're, and talk you're to absolutely you. welcome to do it. I think, um, you know, what you're doing hopefully will open some eyes um, to, to Texas lacrosse, but also, you know, what the d- different philosophies are of each coach and how yeah. they go about their business. And I certainly, you know, I'm not trying to recreate the wheel. Um, and I'm certainly not, um, but and and again, I think there's a wealth of really, really outstanding coaches down yeah, here. Yes. That um, you know, I'm really privileged to call my friends and to have as uh, peers down here. And you know, I'm trying to compete with them. I think that's that's the biggest thing of uh, you know trying to beat these guys, and they're trying to beat me. Um, so, I, and I think that makes it fun. And and specifically when you have you know guys that are s- such good coaches but better people um, I think makes it that much more special when you, when you do have a really good game yeah. right and, and it could have gone either way and you know whether you lose by a goal or they win by a goal or they it's win by not 15 or they, you win by 15 I think it makes it fun and um, you know I, I feel privileged to be a part of the Texas lacrosse community and um, you know certainly hope that um, you know I, I'm as much as I, I've taken, I give back. And I think that's important. Yeah, I think I mentioned, mentioned it to you before we got rolling, right? That as I've, I came into this project with a pretty pessimistic outlook, generally, about kind of where lacrosse is in Houston specifically. And I look at San Antonio and Austin and Dallas, and I just feel like, man, they're, 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 they're blowing past us, right? So I've, I've got this natural bias, and I know I have a bias, and I'm, I'm aware of it. And some of what I've discussed, like when I, when I hear coaches, you know, like Platt scratching and clawing for resources and, 
you know, other coaches who are doing the same thing and then the disparity between public and private as it relates to some of these issues, you know, that, that kind of bums me out, right? Then I run across people like you and Donnelly and, you know, Kiernan and everybody, right? And then you realize that, you know, despite those issues and despite some of the governance issues and how everybody, how people may feel about that, right? the good news is there's people out here bumping around, right, that get it, right? And they're, and they're clawing and scratching and working really hard, right, for their teams and their boys, right, and the families. Um, so it's a weird two-edged right. kind of thing, right? Yeah, I'm a little pessimistic and I don't know. I'm just a, maybe I'm just a grumpy old guy. Maybe it, that never works, never fixes itself. But I, I keep bumping into these people that are like passionate about the sport. Yeah, and I right? think it's, you know, I think those, I honestly think it's, if you look at it from a perspective of the people and, you know, will, will, would your son benefit from being in Kiernan's program or, Jeremy's program um, and I think so right so right. I think are they going to be a better human being regardless right. of the lacrosse they're going to get better because those guys know how to coach right but are they going to be better people and I think absolutely right so I think um, if, if if we continue to take that approach of not only teaching them about lacrosse and making them better players but also making them better people that in itself is going to be the best market and advocate to play high school lacrosse. Um, and I'm a firm believer of that. And um, I've seen, you know, I'm fortunate to have now some alumni, right? Of, of from not only from St. John's, but from Furman and from, you know, from the Naps boys going back to when I first started, um, you know, and that's really cool to see just, you know, the, the young men that they've become and, and to see, you know, them be, you know, most of them aren't parents yet, thank God. Um, but uh, you know, to to either whether it's their 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 new life or, or their job, and and to being being so good at what they do, right, and being good people, and also giving back, right, to the sport. Right. So I think that's um, you know, if we keep that in perspective, I think we're doing okay. Right? Yeah, maybe the other stuff doesn't matter, right? Well, it does. I mean, you want to win, and you well, know. Well, no, you I just win. meant all the. You know, the, the stuff I'm hung up on, right? Yeah, Which is yeah, yeah. like the governance stuff and, you know, who's in charge and how they align stuff. Yeah, you can get in the weeds with that. Eh, does um, it matter? But I think, you know, I, I, my wife will tell you I'm not this way, but I try to be present and in the moment, and I'm not, right? But I think looking back and seeing specifically my program, where we were and where we are, and... Um, you know, the young men that are in my program, I'm pretty darn proud of it. And, um, and they know that I hold them to a very high standard and that doesn't stop once they graduate. Um, and I think that's super important for them to understand. And I think that grounds me a bit to say when, well, why can't we, you know, why can't we be a sanctioned sport? Or why can't, you know, why do I have to play a certain team on this crappy field, right. you know, at this bizarre time, you know, <laughs> I, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, again, if you look at it from, are we hitting the nail on the head when it comes to developing young men? Yeah, yeah. I think we do a pretty good job across the board of that. Um, now, can I get, of course I can get better, you know, everybody can get better, but I think we're doing a pretty good job of that. And I think if we keep that in perspective and keep harping on that, 
and keep that that going, I think that'll speak for itself hopefully in five, ten years of, yeah, this should be a sanctioned sport because there's some pretty, A, there's some pretty good lacrosse players out there, there's some great coaches, but this is really good for boys to be involved with. And I think, again, keeping that, and granted, that's a little utopian, again, thought process, but at the same time, well, no, but you're, you know. I think you're onto something because I, I mentioned this to gosh knows who, I can't remember. But we were talking about UIL and sanctioning, and, I, and, and my point was, if our house was in order, right, UIL would come calling. It would be a natural, the natural order of things, right? So, I, mean, I think what you're saying kind of plays into that. You know, get our house in order, develop boys, right? The lacrosse comes, falls off of that, right? The teams kind of tra tail off of that, right? Right. And as we nail down that, I think the natural progression is, is to be sanctioned. Yeah. So I mean, right? I'm, ho I'm hopeful, right? I'm, I'm hopeful. You know, again, I, I have the best of both worlds, right? I'm in the state league and I'm in the SBC. Right. So, um, you know, and that's a huge piece for me, right? That we're the only sport, aside from girls lacrosse, that competes at the state level at our school. I think that's awesome. Right. Um, you know, right. we're not, like, our football team isn't playing, you know, the Woodlands. Our, you know, baseball team isn't playing, you know, uh, South Lake, Carroll. Um, so I think that is pretty special, and having having those cross-town rivalry, rivalries like Strake, you know, um, is is pretty cool that we can play on at both both levels. And, you know, I'm happy about that. Um, and, uh, you know, there's some rules and stuff. You know, we can't start until, you know, February 3rd, uh, which, you know, handcuffs us a bit. But I always like to say that, you know, by the time February 3rd runs comes around and I've already coached them, my kids would probably hate me. At that point, and and be tuning me out. <laughs> right. um, so um, it's something to be said for that late start. Yeah, you know, yeah, there's yeah. there's advantages and disadvantages, but um, uh, you know, again, there's there's the good and bad, but I think we're still there's far more good than bad, and um, you know, I, I'd like to take the positive side and look at yep. it that way, um, but certainly, yeah, like you say, is our house in order? No. We got some sweeping to do and some mopping and some some structural deals that we have to figure out to make it better. But are we that far off the mark? No. Um, do we have to spread the game? Yeah, I think those rural areas, you know, I think if we can get more in those areas, and I think that's a combination between, you know, us as coaches getting out and, 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 and getting out and coaching, you know, that, getting into PE departments. Right. Um, but also, you know, giving access to boys, throwing, you know, and U.S. lacrosse is a, is a part of that, of trying to, to grow it. Um, so I think, you know, from multiple fronts, we can attack this. And, you know, is it going to happen overnight? No. But is it going to be better than it was last year? Yeah. And I think if we keep that incremental growth, um, and again, I don't want to talk like I'm the expert, because I've only been in this for four no. years down yeah. here. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm not in those, those, you know the state league or the club team shoes right um but at the same time you know i think a lot of those coaches do the, the absolute best that they can and i think if we continue to harp on that and recognize that i think the growth is going to be there yeah i uh before we wrap up i'd be remiss we talked about it before we started recording you know in my humble opinion the single single most significant coaching change 
that occurred in the off season <laughs> was Pete Marin uh, coming over to your staff. Uh, I think the world of Pete. I know my son thinks the world of Pete um, as a phenomenal hire for you guys. Um, I think it's it speaks volumes. I, I know I said it to you. It speaks volumes about you, right, and the school and what y'all have going on here that you were able to attract Pete. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, that's uh, phenomenal. I feel like it's a coup, right, in in uh, in the Houston lacrosse metropolitan area. You know, I think. Um, you know, I don't think, like we talked before, I don't know if there's a better teacher of the game yep. um, and has the passion and love of the game and um, and knows it as well um, and is constantly trying to get better as a coach. Um, you know, I know um, I'm very fortunate. I also have Ronnie Ben Cosme, um, who, you know, kind of under-the-radar guy but is fantastic. Um, the investment and the relationships that he's made with, with our boys is phenomenal. Um, and then, you know, I, I would be remiss to re be remiss to not mention Kyle Dowd as well. You know, he was with me from the get go and really built the program, our program to where we are, um, which has been a significant improvement. Um, so, yeah, Pete, um, you know, I've grown to know him since I got down here. One of the guys I, I respected yeah. and I think just from a, a technical standpoint is there's not a better guy out there. And then um, also from a, from a guy who is, is invested in the relationships with the, his, his players, I think is, uh, you know, it, it speaks volumes to who he is as a human being. And, you know, hopefully we can fold him in to, to our culture and how we do business. And I think it's going to be, you know, seamless. And, um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, I feel very fortunate that he was, he was able to come on board and I got the support from my athletic director and my headmaster to, to go ahead and, and, and try to get him over here. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know what was great? I, I was talking with a, a Houston Christian parent before they announced the new coach. And kind of the view I expressed to that parent was, man, I, I think to a T, I bet you all the local coaches would say the same thing. It would be nice to see a bright, shiny new face, right? Not a retread, right? But somebody new, you know, who's kind of new on the coaching scene, new to the high school scene. You know, get some fresh blood in here, and I, I was excited to see Grand Jean, Grand Jean, right, move over to Houston Christian as the head coach and fill in for Pete. Right? Yeah, I, so that's know, exciting too, right? I yeah. mean, there's there's an interesting new face popping up on the scene here locally. Right? Yeah, absolutely, and you know, get in the mix, and um, you know, I think again to Pete's credit, I you know, uh, we talked a little bit about it, but um, you know, when I was going through the process with him, it wasn't so much. He was worried about, you know, well, I'm not a head coach anymore. It was more he was worried about the relationships with his boys at Houston Christian of, yeah. you know, letting them down. And that just spoke volumes to me of, like, yeah, this yeah. is the right guy, yeah. right? That he was more concerned about that than anything else. And, um, you know, again, I, I think, you know, Houston Christian, hopefully, you know, will we'll continue to get better. Um, and But, you know, I'm certainly happy Pete's over here. And, and he's got a, you know, he's got an M star on his chest now. Um, so I'm super excited to get to work with him, and you know he's already kind of he's helping me out with shell back and getting to know the boys. Yeah, and, that's awesome. You know, I think they're fired up to, to have some some new blood and and, and uh, you know to have a, a develop a new relationship with a new coach. And you know it's funny, Coach Dowd moved to Singapore, right? And and you know we still get texts from him, how are the boys doing? How are the boys doing? And they're asking how Coach Dowd is. So um, it's been pretty special to you know the lacrosse piece aside. You know, and we were fortunate to have um, 
Kyle's father also be a part of our, our team. He still lives in Long Island, but would fly down. He missed like five games last year, maybe. Really? And flew down and to every game. And my boys are now asking me, well, when's Coach Dowd Sr. coming? So, um, you know, again, we, you know, the relationships are super important to me and far outweigh the wins and losses. And frankly, I think, you know, the wins and losses are a byproduct of the relationships and your culture and how yep. you do business. And, you know, um, certainly we want to get better and we want to win as much as we can. But I think we're doing a pretty good job of, of where we are culturally as a team. But, you know, we can always get better. And I think Pete's going to help with that tremendously. That's awesome. I'm fired up. Where do I sign? <laughs> well, we'd love to have you anytime. Get you guys out here. Is there is there an admission requirement? I mean, how do I? There's get a little in? bit of one. A little bit of one. You might you're, you're uh, 49 year old dude. Yeah. Your uh, your eligibility might be up. Sorry. A little, just a little. Super cool. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, no, just no? just uh, you know, thank you for putting this together. And I think something that resonated with me was that you called the Houston Lacrosse Project. And I think that was pretty cool in saying, you know, it's not perfect, it's a project, right? And I think yeah, yeah. whether it, it was Houston Lacrosse Podcast or whatever it was, um, I think the project aspect is really cool, that it's a kind of a living, breathing thing. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I think this is hopefully going to make, give access to maybe the coaches, you know, you know, I don't, I don't know too much about, you know, other coaches, whether it's in San Antonio or whether it's in Dallas. And I enjoy listening to them and I enjoy hearing what they have to say and enjoy getting perspective from what they think is as yeah, what yeah. the problems are and the solutions and how we can make it better. And I think hopefully this makes this can be a conduit to make us all better. Right. Yeah. So it's. Um, what's super cool that's coming up just because you mentioned it. Um, so. Uh, Rich Moses, I'm, I'm actually interviewing him tomorrow night. Awesome. Which is going to be fantastic. And, you know, I, I have one question for him. And you know what that question is. Why the hell is Highland Park so good? What are you doing differently? Right? What, are, what is? And I know he's been involved with Highland Park long enough. Where Dive I think, down deep into that one I think he us. can answer that question, man. It's like, what? Yeah. Is there a pill? Right? What is it? Um, I, I think that'll be awesome. Another one that's coming up. And I, and I love the fact that you're you're interested and you and you and you get it, um, Mike Brand. Who I've known Mike for a while, on and off. Um, I knew him a little bit when he was coaching at Southwest Texas. Uh, bumped into him. I think he and I drank beer at the MLL uh, All Star Game. Nice. We were in a suite together, yeah. had a blast. Um, and he's doing some really cool stuff in San Antonio. And I think San Antonio is kind of flying under the radar right now as, as it relates to lacrosse development. And I think they're doing a really good job at it. So yeah, I'm, ex well, uh, I'm you know, excited Blake Skinner, to get him. I know, is, is yeah, super yeah. integral in that. Yep. And I think he's doing a great job. I've been jumped on a couple of conference calls with him, and he's always, yeah. you know, super articulate, super passionate. And, you know, um, we've got some really good people. Like, you know, you've got some really good people. Yeah. And I think this, this in particular, um, hopefully will, will again, Keep, keep getting more traction. I'm, try, I'm trying to reach out because I, I, I get it, man. I, I like your vision because it's like there's folks in Dallas and in San Antonio and Austin that we can all learn from, right? Yeah. And even just 90 minutes just yeah. sitting here on a field talking to and them, right? Often, there's going to you know, be some tidbit. Right. And, you know, I was fortunate to do some Iron Horse stuff this summer. And, you know, I got around, um, you know, all those guys, whether right. it was from Austin or whether it was from Dallas, that are part of that. And, um, you know, you always learn something. Yep. Right? Yep. And, um, 
you know, you have some laughs and you learn a little bit and you coach some kids and, you know, some different kids. And <laughs> or if you're like me, pull out your cell phone and turn on the video camera and record yeah, it. Right? Exactly. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, That's an awesome drill. I got to save that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get some good ideas. So, I, again, I think this um, this this project that you're doing is, is pretty cool. I appreciate cool. that. And, uh, you know, whatever we can do to support it. And, um, you know, I'd love to be back on if you'll have me. Absolutely. And, um, you know, just appreciate you coming out and, uh, you know, doing this whole thing. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely.